Welcome to this week's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic, and on today's episode of The Running Effect, I speak with Matt Fox from Sweat Elite. Matt is a super successful individual business leader and even runner. Um, We talk a little bit about his running, his start in the sport of running, his uh, change from football to running, and then now he's chasing a sub two hour 20 marathon at Chicago and then eight weeks later at Valencia. So we go into all of that, which is super exciting, but then we go into what he's probably most known for and I'm sure what you listeners know him for, which is Sweaty Elite, his company. Um, but we also go into his start in like starting businesses. So before Sweaty Elite was Sweat Mobile, um, and then creating Sweaty Elite, deciding to make videos in so much more. We really do a deep dive into his um, company, Sweaty Elite, and then like some of the highs and lows, some of his failures, and even big successes that he's had. So this episode is a really awesome episode for anyone who is a fan of Sweaty Elite, which I certainly am, and I know so many other people in the running community are because they are doing so, so much good. Um, And with that being said, if you aren't subscribed to them, please go subscribe right now. Pause the episode and go subscribe to them. I will leave a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. Um, And then lastly, special thanks to Matt for hopping on this episode and giving me so much of his time, being so generous with his time. I really appreciate him. He's such an uplifting, positive um, person, and I really appreciate him taking the time to speak with me and share his wonderful journey, which you guys now get to hear. So without further ado, here's my amazing conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Fox. Matt, how are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm good, thank you, Dominic. I appreciate the uh, the call out here in in Boulder, Colorado. It's a beautiful day, and uh, yeah, how's things over your way? Things are going well. Um, I, I'm curious. You're out in Boulder. I know you're traveling a lot, but how is the weather in Boulder? Has the fall weather started to set in? Or are you guys still experiencing some warmth from summer? It's funny, actually. I was I was in Boulder for about five weeks straight up until around two weeks ago now. And then I went to Flagstaff for eight days, and the amount that it changed in that short period of time really surprised me. So that would have been sort of in the early early to mid-September. Yeah, it was really warm here through through August, uh, July and August. I was I was training for Chicago Marathon, and um, yeah, I, I found it pretty tricky some days, especially if I was working, filming in the morning, you know, at sort of 6.30 to 8.30 or 9 a.m., and I'd have to run after that. It would be hard, but it's definitely taken a turn over the last couple of weeks, and, and it's it's becoming quite nice even sort of midday. It's, it's around the 70s, 75, 80s. So, yeah, I, lo- I love the weather right now. I think it's perfect for training. And, uh, yeah, I can't complain being out here. It's uh, it's It's got to be one of the best places in the world, I guess, as a, as a runner. So, mm-hmm. yeah, happy to be here. Totally. Yeah, there's nothing like the, the turn of summer to fall because, at least personally, summer training is a lot of times brutal, especially, as you were saying, when you can't run or get your training in, in the morning. So then shifting over to fall when everything's a little chillier and you can um, throw on a shirt and it feels weird. It's crazy how much the difference in, like, training paces is. So, yeah, that's that's super awesome oh, to yeah. hear. But as you just spoke about a little bit, um, you said you were traveling 
Hamlin back and forth between Boulder and Flagstaff. And as I'm sure some of our listeners know, if they follow along the Sweaty Elite YouTube channel, which I highly encourage them to if they don't already, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, you're constantly traveling, or at least traveling a good amount. So what does a normal day in the life look like for you? Obviously, not yeah. every day you're traveling, but your days are, it seems, a little more unique than uh, most professional nine-to-fivers. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably, I mean, I'll, I'll get to the question in a moment, but I'm probably in Boulder um, roughly half the time. Um, and then I'm I'm often in Flagstaff. I think over the last four months, there's been five trips to Flagstaff of sort of between five and 10 days. Uh, I've been a couple out to the West Coast, Portland, Seattle area, um, and a couple of shorter ones around. But to answer your question, um, I guess most days, regardless of where I am and what, what I'm doing travel-wise, is pretty similar. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's pretty straightforward. I'll, I'll typically wake up at around 5.30 to 6. It, it really depends on what time I'm working. Um, you know, usually if I'm filming a workout, it will start anywhere between, well, I've had one, one uh, extreme example of Ian Butler started at 4.30 a.m., but typically it's 6.30 to sort of 8.30 start. And, uh, yeah, so I'll typically wake up about 6, 6.30. If it is an 8.39 a.m. start, I might try and get my run or session in before that. If it's a 6.30, 7.00, start, then I'll typically run afterwards or in the afternoon. So I'll film the workout. That'll take two to two and a half hours normally. Sometimes I might join the athlete and coach for a meal or a coffee afterwards, sometimes not. Um, the first thing I'll do when I get back uh, to wherever I'm staying, whether it be home here in Boulder or, or, or an apartment or a friend's place, is I'll just make sure all of the, all of the film that I've just t- taken is, is securely stored away in Google Drive. That's the number one thing. I mean, I think all people, all, all uh, photographers or videographers have had that one disaster where they've lost the left footage. Oh, totally. <laughs> just butting in real quick. I've had uh, an example of that where my dad, uh, thank, special shout out to my dad. He edits all and produces all my podcasts um, because he used okay. to have a background in video production. Um, so bottom line, one time I lost two podcasts completely wiped out. So I know that feeling um of like wanting to make sure it's there right away yeah yeah luckily i haven't done it with a video but i've done exactly what you just said one time i filmed a podcast with a really uh with a very top level iron man a couple of years ago and i didn't i lost the whole thing so i was just like <laughs> i'm never doing that again so i'm just making sure that yeah so i get back i make sure the sd card is, is put into the uh, laptop and it's all sort of way I then make sure the batteries are being charged for the next film because I don't I don't like it uh, you know I don't like to wake up that morning and, and think have I charged you know have I charged the battery to the camera so I, I just do that straight away so I, just, I basically just prepare and make sure the camera's sort of ready to go for the next one straight away. Um, typically after that I will maybe have, have something to eat for a late uh, late breakfast early lunch and then I'll begin editing and I and I, I typically edit in I don't know I I learned this via the Tim Ferriss podcast, actually, which is a podcast I probably listen to uh, more than any other one. It's mostly uh, interviews with business people and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I learned a technique that seems to work for me, and it's, it's working in sort of two-hour two blocks. So I'll just turn phone off and turn all, all um, distractions off and, and do a two-hour stint and have my alarm, you know, there at the end to let me know it's two hours. I'll take a break for half an hour, you know, either have a coffee, and then I'll do it again. I'll try and do two or three blocks of two hours of editing per day. And, uh, yeah, in between that, I'll just be doing anything. I'll, I'll be, I'll be replying to, you know, text messages or I'll, I'll be walking around or having coffee or something. And then, yeah, I guess that takes to the evening and, um, I try and do as much social stuff as possible. I think it, it's just a healthy thing for my psychology to sort of catch up with friends and, and, you know, so forth. So yeah, that's a typical day. I mean, it's, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. And like I said, it doesn't really matter if I'm in Boulder or if I'm in Flagstaff or I'm traveling, it's, it's usually pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to get into more of your day later, especially some things with Sweaty Elite. But before we get there, one more, one more warm-up question, uh, which is a little more of a fun one. If you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you make him? Oh, man, I'd, I would severely disappoint Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a very credit cook, but, but I, I, I can, I've got about a grand total of three, three things on the menu. But uh, the one I cook the most, I guess, is a, is a vegetarian pesto pasta. And I feel like, based on the comments and feedback that I've had from people that have joined me for that meal, it's probably the better one. So I'd make him that. Um, so I just cut up a bunch of vegetables, six or seven, you know, carrot, broccoli, onion, all that. Throw it in the oven, add some spices and some oregano, and then, uh, yeah, add in the pasta and, um, and and pesto sauce, and that's it. And I don't know, I feel like if uh, if I need to need to do something for Gordon, it's probably going to be that, because, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm much good at anything else. <laughs> well, I have to ask... I don't know if you know this. A lot of my guests don't want to bring it up, but Gordon Ramsay, I think, and I could be very wrong here, but he's at least run multiple, I want to say nine marathons. So will we ever get a Gordon Ramsay, uh, like, workout video? You know, funny you say that. I, I didn't really remember that, but when you when you mentioned the nine marathons, it jogged a little memory for me reading about that, that he's done at least a few, yeah. Um, so, well, it kind of circles back to what we spoke about off air before we started, and it's like, you know, luckily in this sport, runners are relatively accessible when it comes to, you know, podcasts or, or, or that. But someone like Ramsey's probably hard to get in touch with. But hey, <laughs> totally. let's, uh, let's, give, let's give it a go. I mean, uh, if anyone out there has any connection to him, let's, let's do a Gordon Ramsay workout video. <laughs> I mean, I have to imagine that would get over um, just an absurd amount of views. So, um, may, you know, maybe down the road when Sweaty Elite hits a certain amount of subscribers or something we can make it happen um that would yeah. just be really funny and then you can make him this uh pasta dish after he's after he's finished and you can combine a little food with the workout video that'd be that'd be quite the funny video i'm sure what a day what a day i'm, I'm in Who, yeah if anyone can hook this up then uh, let's do it yeah let's make it happen okay so a lot of people don't know um and when i say a lot of people i mean specifically your YouTube channel, because for me, it's easy to see feedback in the comments and what people are saying. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know that you actually are a very accomplished runner yourself um, and that you had a start in the sport of running. So before we get into um, Sweaty Elite and a deep dive into that, I'd love to go into your beginnings in the sport of running. So uh, just starting it out with that question, how did you get your start in running and what were your first impressions of the sport? Okay, so I was a very keen Australian football player as a high schooler, and I guess most people listening to this probably have no idea what that is. Uh, best to throw it into YouTube and go Australian football. But anyway, I was pretty keen on making the Australian Football League, I guess, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old. And much like NFL or, um, or basketball here in the States, I could be wrong by one year, but as a 17, 18-year-old, that's the year that you have to perform really well as a footballer in order to get drafted by a team. And in that particular year, um, I guess I was sort of on the, on the, in the gray area of potentially looking at, you know, picking, being picked up by a team, but I wasn't, I wasn't exactly a certainty. I broke my wrist really badly in the first game of the year. And that put me out for the entire year. And that was a big uh, hurdle in making the Australian football league and cut a long story short, I began running shortly after that in the hope that if I became really fit, fit that year and I could come out the following year and sort of be in front of the 3k uh, the 3k time trials which is what is used as the junior football sort of standard of fitness I thought that would give me the best chance to get drafted the following year 
And in that year, I began, you know, I, I joined a pretty good coach on the Gold Coast in Australia where I grew up and I began racing and I became pretty hooked pretty quickly. And sort of later that year, I was, uh, I progressed to come fifth in Australia in the 800 meters as, uh, as an under 18 year old. And then my coach sort of said, you know, look, you can either try and make the AFL, it's going to be very hard, or you can try and make world juniors two years later in the 800 or 1500. And, and I committed to that path. Uh, as, a, as a 17, uh, I guess I was almost 18 at that point. So yeah, I, I sort of committed to two years of that. And unfortunately, I I, uh, I missed out by one spot in the World Juniors. I, I ran the qualifying time a, a bunch of times, but I was third and I only took two. But that then led me to, so that was that was the 2006 uh, World Juniors. Uh, sorry, t- uh, 2008. And then, uh, yeah, I guess from there, it was just more about um, aiming at the Olympics. And, and I guess I, I wasn't overly close in the end, um, but I was fifth in Australia twice uh, at Open Nationals. I never ran the qualifying time for the Olympics. I was about a second and a half off. But, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the time as a, I guess, a semi-professional runner between the age of sort of 18 and, and, uh, and 26. And, uh, yeah, I took a bit of time away from the sport after that and sort of joined the, uh, joined the, the real world, if you want to call it that, and, and took a couple of office jobs and realised... You know, I'm still relatively young. I'd like to uh, to, to sort of try my own um, at, at, a, at a startup, as, at a business, and, and Sweater Lead actually wasn't the first one. There was a bunch of failures before this. But uh, yeah, I guess to answer the, the question, yeah, it, it was it was as a 17, 18 year old coming mm-hmm. out of an injury from football. So yeah, so here we are. <laughs> yeah. So as you kind of chronicled, you had a, I mean, at least from a fan's perspective, uh, a very successful uh, running career, at least compared to what most amateurs will ever reach. Um, so I'm interested to know, was it hard for you dropping your primary sport of football and going into running, or did you kind of take that naturally because you were a competitive person? Yeah, good question. It, it was actually pretty hard at the time because, I mean, you know, anyone playing football as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, you know, most of your best friends come from the sport. And, um, and, and when I broke my wrist that year, at the start of the year, and was basically out for the whole year, you know, the, my friends in my team were very supportive, and they were sort of, you know, doing all they could to, to, to get me back on the field as quick as possible and so on. And, and, and when at the end of that year, when I basically ne- I didn't play another game and, and I'd come um, and, I, and I'd come in the top in the top, I made the final of the 800 at the, at the national champs as an under 18 year old. My coach was really in my ear saying like, you know, I think that you can make world juniors. And my, my football <laughs> friends were saying, you know, come back and, and play for the next year. So it was, it was tricky um, but ultimately, I thought my best chance of, of making any, you know, in my eyes, it was, OK, do I have a better chance of making the Australian Football League or do I have a better chance of making the Olympics? And at the time, I thought it was the Olympics. Now, I, I guess I was wrong, but um, in retrospect, I don't regret that decision. I, I think it would have been very hard to make the AFL after that year off anyway. And uh, yeah, I mean, the people that I've met along the way in the sport of, of track and field and and this business now has, has really made me, um, you know, realize that it was a good decision. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons you've, you've taken away from your time as a semi-professional runner looking back over 10 years ago? Sure. So, cliche answer, but, you know, I think I didn't do this a little bit during my middle distance days. And it's, and it's try as hard as you can to enjoy the process and set yourself up. So, and this is not easy. It's, it's it's very much a psychological thing, I think. But try and set yourself up so that if you if you do win or lose in the in the at the end of the of the of the training period at the at the national champs or whatever you're trying to do, 
just try and make sure that that process along the way was as fun as possible. And I think the way that I've noticed people do that is to is to have a really friendly and fun training group. I mean, when I was a middle distance runner, I had, I had two coaches, and in between those two coaches, I trained completely alone without a coach and without any training partners for 18 months, and it was miserable. Like, it was it was not fun. I didn't race very well. After bad races, I had no one to really talk to, you know, that knew what I was talking about. You know, of course, I had you know a girlfriend at the time and a and, and parents, but I think really making sure that I had a group of people that were similar to me in terms of goals and, and just we enjoyed the same things outside of the sport, ideally, you know, that's really the way to, to enjoy it. And I think the biggest lessons that I've learned even after that and over the last five years since starting Sweat Elite is that a lot of the really good runners have just really social and fun training groups. And, and the one that I think most people that have at least watched some videos that will come to mind first if they've seen the videos is Paul Chalimo. Like when you come to his training sessions, it's like a, it's like a comedy festival. And they're just laughing. They're joking around. <laughs> they're mucking around. And you know, this guy's one of the best in the world. And, and one would think like, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if some people that came to the training session would walk away pretty alarmed at how casual it all is and how fun it all is. And it's not serious um, in that regard. So yeah, I guess that's the number one lesson I've learned is to, is to really try and make it as social as possible and to put yourself in a position where you're enjoying the process as much as possible. And at the end, if you don't succeed, you've had a good time. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Um, so with that advice that you kind of just gave, how have you applied that to your running recently from learning that uh, recently, if that makes sense? Sure. I think I learned that actually a good 10 years ago, but it's just become more and more solidified in my mind as time goes on. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and it's been a little tricky lately for me, especially over the last six months because of work. And so those that are unfamiliar, I typically film training sessions of elite athletes um, in, the, in the mornings, and, and quite often that's the same time as people that I want to train with are also training. So, you know, that is a little tricky at the moment, and I do try and link up with people as much as I possibly can. Um, but, but work is the priority for me now. I am still running, you know, I'm, I'm still quite competitive in the, in, the, in the longer distances, but work comes first. But yeah, I just do my best to link up with people as, as much as I can. Um, my training structure is really flexible. I change workout days around to join other people if I can, even if it might not be the best for my body. But I do try and you know avoid any major mistakes. But uh, yeah, before I mean before I started this video work and and the work was not really a revolved around a certain time. We were like writing articles or, or recording podcasts. I would I would always be training with a group. And and back home on the Gold Coast, I, I train with a group called Gold Coast Run Company. Um, very large group of guys, really strong. I mean, there's I think there's six guys under 30 minutes for 10K. This is in a relatively small city in Australia. Um, and, yeah, very social group, very fun. So, but, yeah, that's when I'm at home. But at the moment, I'm not home much. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. Going off my previous answer to that last question, I'm actually finding it a little bit hard at the moment to do exactly what I just said. <laughs> because, And that's mainly because of the time I work. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it, it's okay. I mean, I join people probably one one in every three runs at the moment. So gotcha. No, I totally know what you mean, though. There's a time, like... There are times in your life where it, it can be tough to link up with people who are just as good as yourself. And um, as you were saying, work is your highest priority right now. But like even me personally, um, I don't really have anyone on my team that is fit enough to train with me um, for every single training run. So when that's the circumstance, you just have to make the most out of every opportunity and realize that it's not uh, reasonable to have like... 
it's not it's not reasonable to if you have that advice it's not reasonable to sweat about if you like didn't run with a group or whatever you can still have fun by yourself but um so i think that's that's good to keep in mind but i totally understand wh- what you're saying but going into your um training a little more you've been training for the chicago and Valencia Marathon, um, which are really coming around the corner. And when the, by the time this podcast comes out, I think it'll be a few days before the Chicago Marathon, depending on when we get it out. So take us through your training, um, this training block, and how you're feeling about these upcoming races. Yeah, so Chicago Marathon is 13 days away now. Um, it was two weeks ago yesterday. And training has been really good. Unfortunately, over the last three or four years, I've been pretty injury prone and I've tried to learn as much as I can from that. And I feel like I'm on, a, on the right track now. But I was struggling for a number of months earlier in the year with, with uh, Achilles tendonitis and shin splints almost at the same time. They kind of just overlapped. But I got a lucky break in, early, uh, when was it, late June, early July and, and sort of returned to training and, and really made sure all the rehab was, was in place. And yeah, I mean, I've strung together now, I think it's 13 or 14 weeks of sort of around that 65 to 80 miles per week. Um, some would be thinking that's low for marathon. It definitely is. But I have had uh, a fair few injuries over the last few years from, from peaking up over that 100 miles per, per week. And, and this particular cycle, I was, I was really just quite keen to get to the start line because I'd entered a bunch of marathons over the last two years and, 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 and picked up an injury along the way and then blew a whole lot of money and not being able to get there. And, and I was a little bit tired of that. So I thought, I'm going to be a little bit conservative this time and get to the start line, no double days this time around, um, keeping that mileage cap to around 110, 115 kilometres per week, which is about 70, 75. I've, I've gone a little over that, I think, one or two weeks. Um, but I, I, I didn't really mean to. Long story. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's been going well. So there's been no interruptions. And uh, so my best is 224. And I think in Chicago, well, <laughs> before I checked the weather forecast this morning, my goal was, uh, was sub 220. But it looks like, it looks like the weather's going to be, it could potentially be nasty. Uh, two weeks out, the forecast may not be accurate. So I hope that changes. But at the moment, it's looking like it'll be uh, heavy rain, high humidity, and quite warm. So that's, that's not... Ooh. That's not ideal for uh, for marathon running. And if that's the case, I've already thought this through. I'll probably just try and run. Um, if, if that does happen, I'll try and run a PB. I'll try and run under two twenty four, um, because you know that sort of humidity and that rain is gonna is gonna really slow people down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's out of our control, and we've just got to do our best on the day. And, and there's nothing that we can do about the weather. So, uh, so yeah, I'm ready to adjust the goal if that's the case. But ultimately, I think the shape is there for two nineteen um, in decent weather. So. So yeah, Chicago, and then I think it's eight weeks later, uh, Valencia. And the only reason for that was that I actually entered Valencia last year, and because of COVID, it was I was deferred to the following year. So I never actually planned to have that short of a time between the two, but it's just worked out that way. And I think with the new Super Shoe range, I think it's 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 easier to recover from these marathons. And I think it is possible to back up even six to sort of eight weeks after. So yeah, we'll see how we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just brought up the Super Shoes, so I'm curious. Um, have you used them in training? And if so, um, how, what are your thoughts on them and your thoughts on, as you were kind of alluding to their, their impact on recovery? Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're brilliant. I'm just, I, I, the Nike next percent, especially, I mean, I I have no, um, you know, I have no really close ties to to Nike, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not plugging it anyway. And to be fair, I actually haven't really tried a lot of the other brands, but I do love the next percent. Um, I don't use them in training as much as most would, and that's just mainly because when I picked up Achilles tendonitis and then the shin splints, I just started to really look at what I'm doing wrong, and I thought, well, it's most likely either too much running in general 
and slash or I'm using um, shoes that are not suiting me very well too much. And I thought back to the days where I ran in the Nike Pegasus pretty much every day, even for workouts, which is just a stable, you know, trainer. And I was really, I was very rarely injured. So I thought, well, let's go back to what worked. So I wear Pegasus um, pretty much for 90% or maybe even 95% of the running. Like I even do intervals in, in Pegasus, which, which most would, would, would be shaking their head at probably. But I do wear the next percents for marathon specific workouts. Sometimes not even the whole workout. Sometimes I might just throw them on in, in the second half. So I try to limit them, but at the same time, I think it's always smart to be training in the shoe that you're going to race in and get used to that feeling. So, so yeah, I mean, I've got I've got my last really hard workout. Um, so it's Monday afternoon now. On Wednesday morning, I'll do two times 10k. Uh, so that'll be uh, 11 days before um, Chicago, and I will wear the next percent of that whole thing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of unusual. So, but in terms of recovery, oh man, like yeah, I mean, my first couple of marathons I ran in the old school streets, and it would take me. You know, it takes me seven to ten days to feel like I can really jog again. But, you know, I, I guess I have gotten stronger over the years because I've done more training. But nowadays it's more like, four, you know, four or five days until you feel pretty much fully recovered. So I think that's definitely in part to the super shoes and just the the way that you're just not having such a hard impact every time you're striking your foot. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the shoes. Yeah, totally. That Those are some really, really good insights. And you see that recovery piece played out in Shalane Flanagan. I'm not sure if you saw this news, but doing um, all six world majors, I think, in seven weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and I saw that. Yeah, if she was to do that five years ago, I think it would have been... And I'm not taking away from how amazing this is, but I think it would have been a lot more of a challenge just with the recovery aspect, whereas now she can do every single one the alpha flies, and uh, that's definitely going to help her legs not be as beat up as they usually, or as they normally would have been. So um, it's it's cool to see, and like for people like you, it's also cool to see because it gives you more career longevity and more shots at the marathon. So for instance, if Chicago doesn't go well, then you have, as you said, Valencia eight weeks later. So, um, but you can still have a fun time, uh, run the marathon, and then have your legs a little more recovered for eight weeks later. Whereas, as you were saying, if you did that a few years ago in the streaks, you would have been extremely beat up. So, um, technology is awesome in that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll never forget the first marathon I ran was in Helsinki in Finland. I was living there at the time, and. And I ran 2:59, just sub three hours, and, and I couldn't I couldn't walk downstairs for like seven days. Oh wow! So bad. Wow. So yeah, and that was with the streaks, and and you know I just remember thinking back to the last marathon when I ran 2:24 in Japan, and I remember going to the airport two days later and walking up and downstairs and thinking like it's crazy that I've I've just gone 35 minutes faster and I'm like significantly you know fresher two days mm-hmm. later. So it's yeah, and, and I think that's partly due to just doing more running. And becoming stronger, but it's definitely also to do with the uh, with the with the Zoomex foam and the and the Nike Next Percent. Yeah, mm-hmm, totally. Um, so as you mentioned, you spent a lot of time in Boulder, and then you've um, spent a few stints at Flagstaff uh, filming different prof- professionals. So both of those locations are at high altitude. So what has it been like training at altitude, and do you notice any major differences, or not particularly? So, yeah, so Boulder sits at, many runners in the States will probably know this, but Boulder sits at about one mile, about 1,600 metres high, which is about 5,300 feet. Flagstaff's at closer to 7,000 feet, 2,100 metres, and there's quite a large difference between the two. Boulder, I became quite used to quite quickly within a number of weeks to the point where I'm probably only running roughly five, maybe to seven seconds per mile slower. So the training paces here are relatively similar 
I don't really have to adjust too much. But Flagstaff's a different story. It's much, it's probably closer to 15 seconds per mile. So you actually have to make some quite large changes and adjustments to the paces. Um, yeah, so so I think, you know, once you get over that, it seems to me anyway, once you get over sort of that 55 to 6,000 feet, it, it starts to really become quite exponentially harder. Um, so Boulder sits at a good altitude, though, where you can sort of get the quality out really well and you're also getting that, that, that altitude effect. Um, yeah, so I, I think um, where I am now, I don't find it a hell of a lot different to sea level. And I think Reed Fitzer from Tin Man said in one of the videos that I filmed, he said, you know, he's, he's been here for, I think he said four years, maybe it could be five. And he, his words were like, it's basically training at sea level for me now because he's just so used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been here for five months and it seems like my paces are not far off at about maybe three to four seconds per kilometre or five to six per mile. So, yeah, um, I, luckily here in Boulder, it's, it's not too hard. But go up to Crested Butte where uh, where Sarah Hall and uh, and Emma Coburn train, four hours drive from here at 10,000 feet, then it'll be a very different story. <laughs> I'm sure that makes the lungs burn. I can't, like, yeah. I've never, I've, I would love to go to altitude, but I've never been to altitude. So I imagine okay. <laughs> going from sea level to 10,000 feet would absolutely burn. Um, and I've oh, heard... Oh, man, yeah, that yeah, yeah, I've I've heard athletes who have gone from sea level to um, altitude for the first time, particularly Flagstaff people I've talked to, said like even walking up a flight of stairs, like that they need to catch their breath after that. So I can't imagine hopping into running right away. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I think if you come to Boulder from sea level, there'll probably be a week or two where it just feels a little tough on the lungs and. Your, you know, your easy runs that are typically at eight minute miles, for example, or seven thirty miles, they'll they'll drop back to you know maybe twenty or twenty seconds per mile slower. But within a number of weeks, you won't really feel a huge difference. So, yeah, like you said, ten thousand feet's a totally different story. And, and walking, I think one of the first times I experienced like serious altitude, uh, you know, the effective altitude was when I, I actually wasn't training, but I flew to Bogota in Colombia about six years ago now, just to, just for just for fun just to explore basically and, and i and i remember walking up a flight of stairs at the airport that's at 2600 meters which is maybe like eight and a half thousand feet and i remember i walked up a bunch of stairs and at the top i was like wow I can't, <laughs> i'm really my heart rates up so yeah um it, it really depends on the, on the actual altitude but mm-hmm. um boulder's not boulder's not too high so, yeah you know. yeah that i that as you were saying that's what i've heard um about Boulder being a, a significantly different than Flagstaff. Um, and if you want, because you know him, ask Harvey Nelson about this next time because he has uh, very strong opinions about Boulder versus Flagstaff in training. Um, he, he's quite funny speaking on that subject. He talked about it in our podcast for anyone who remembers. But um, going into your beginnings of Sweaty Elite and how it kind of got started. Before Sweaty Elite, there was Sweat Mobile, kind of the first iteration of Sweaty Elite, the company. So can you take us behind the creation of Sweat Mobile and maybe why you think it didn't go off so well? Hmm. Okay, this is quite a funny story, actually. So in 2014, I was living in Finland at the time. Uh, I sort of just finished up running um, semi-professional in the middle distances. And a friend of mine came across a mobile app called Strava. Now, we all know what Strava is now, but at the, at the time, it was it was really a cycling app. They had the running functionality, but it was we didn't know anyone that used it for running. No one. So our idea was... Now, don't laugh. Our idea was to create um, a Strava for running. So we tried to do that, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so we spent about six... Uh, so I bought in um, one co-founder, and then he bought in a bunch of other 
co-founders as well, and there was there was six of us in in total. There was me, sort of marketing and data, and and a, a, a bunch of guys in the programming team and so on. And and when we were developing it, um, I was out there raising money and trying to trying to make sure our team was being being paid and the bills were being paid. And I'll never forget that I was I was in an, in a meeting with a bunch of investors in, in Helsinki and. I, over a few meetings with them, I convinced them to to invest uh, 150,000 euros into our business, which was which was a lot of money for a for a first, uh, you know, for a company that hadn't even put their put themselves online yet. And the following day, someone forwarded me an article by TechCrunch saying that Strava had raised 15 million dollars to expand into running. Wow! And we just, and we just we just thought that's that's not good. That is that is not good news, and this could be tough. So while we were, were were really building the app and rolling it out, um, Strava were uh, heavily expanding and running. So the timing was terrible, and we weren't to know. I guess we could have probably predicted that, but I guess we wanted to see if we could beat them beat them first. And uh, yeah, at one stage we had uh, eighteen thousand uh, users, so that was the most we ever had, which is which is you know decent, I guess. We yeah, that's pretty significant. Yeah, um, I think there was maybe eight and a half thousand daily at one point. So that's that's how many people logged in on a single day. And we had a few professionals. We had Zane Robertson, Nick Simmons, uh, a few others uh, on there. But I think we were just not quick enough to make the app, uh, you know, smooth, easy to use. The user experience was was not anywhere near as good as Strava's. We didn't even get to the point of syncing GPS watches. It was all manual upload, much like a diary. We, we were planning to do that, but we we didn't get to that stage. We didn't raise further money. We couldn't convince investors. So, so yeah, that that lasted about a year and a half until we realised that Strava and uh, and even a couple of other players at the time were were really expanding. Um, I think it's uh, that my run could be wrong. There was another company that was that was doing pretty well too. So mm-hmm. we we decided to close down, and from that. I guess the one thing that I really learned, which was the beginning of Sweat Elite, was that I was looking at the data and the analytics, and I was just realizing, man, there's so many people that are creating accounts, but they're not even logging, but they're just like watching what the pros are doing. And they're just like, so like Nick Simmons would post a, a workout and he'd have 10,000 people view it in the first two days. And, and I'd just be like, there's so much interest in what these pros are doing. And I just thought, okay, well, the whole social media dynamic is really tricky. Like getting, you know, getting the getting that up and running is really hard. It, it, it requires a big team, and and you know, and, and a lot of luck. And I just thought, well, why don't I try and showcase this information that we've sort of learned here in more of a blog format and just see where this goes? So I sort of threw a lot of that data online onto a website, uh, experimented with selling some eBooks to see if we can generate some money. So we'd sort of write up you know, 50 to 100 page documents on, on 800 meter training. And we'd, we'd sort of research a, a bunch of professionals and that was a way for us to make money. And we did sell um, reasonably well. And then I realized in the second year that we're better off. I noticed a trend in the news area, actually, that, that a lot of news companies were, were creating a subscription model whereby people could read a few articles for free and they'd have to upgrade. And I, and I just really thought that that made sense. So we then, we then pivoted sort of to that and went away from the eBooks and, and, uh, and and focused on articles and and yeah so that's that that was in the second sort of the middle of the second year and then from there it's just been about building different um, tools and different different media and we, so we added a podcast and we're up to I think 43 44 so sort of a similar amount to to, to what you've done and uh, yeah we've I think it's over 400 articles and then the idea was to expand into video at the start of 2020 and so I moved to Boulder in January mid January 2020 and we're about to have to get stuck into the video production and then COVID struck and the whole thing was basically just delayed a full year. 
So uh, we we picked that back up in April this year, and uh, and here we are with uh, yeah, speaking on uh, on on the phone with you that we basically met through through the channel. So mm-hmm. yeah, here we are. Yeah, it's almost almost five years now. I think it's next month where uh, the domain name sweaterleet.co is uh, is renewing for the for the for five years. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a ride. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So. Uh, Thank you for going through that journey and doing it very, very well. Um, so sweaty or sorry, sweat mobile. Obviously, it didn't come out as you might have hoped. You had to shut that down. But sweaty mobile, sweat mobile turned into sweat elite a little bit, which has been super successful. I would say at least. So, what are the biggest lessons you learned from sweat mobile that you transferred into sweat elite to make it a little more successful than sweat mobile was? Mm. Well. I mean, I really learned that. I kind of already alluded to this, but I really, I really learned that social media applications and mobile apps involving users and, and stuff—it's way harder than people can imagine to make that happen and to make it work. Um, you know, I used to honestly, like, I, I used to look at Let's Run and, and be a little bit dis- disappointed in how much negativity was on there, until I learned how hard it is to be able to create something whereby you're having a lot of engagement from different users and let's run, you know, they, they do great news and their forum, you know, there's, you know, there's, I, I haven't really looked at it for a long time now, but, but there's some good threads and there's some threads that, that are a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit uh, toxic one would say, but I just think like they've done such a good, that it's such a good effort for them to have made such large awareness around the world of this thing. And I just thought functionality wise and just like, uh, engagement wise they've done such a they've, they've done something that's much harder than people realize um so that's what that's what i really learned from from the mobile app and and, and posting information on on a blog and having people just view it is is very much easier and i think when i when i actually started the the, the, the website i just thought i don't read runner's world really at all a lot of their content is geared towards uh you know recreational runners people wanting to finish a marathon for the first time or do a 5k in under 20 minutes and i just thought there's not really any media publication that's like interesting to like semi-professionals or professionals i just thought you know well why is that Uh, i didn't really come up with a good answer and then i was just thinking well maybe let's try and make that so so that's really where where it where it came from and and learning those lessons from sweat mobile and and really understanding like man there's there's such interest in these professionals training it's Mm -hmm. just like because that, back then, before people were on Strava, it, it, there was a lot of things that people considered secrets in training. And now I, I don't really think that there is because, you know, most many professionals are now on Strava and, and in interviews they talk about their training. But back back in 2015, 2016, it, it did seem like that. So, see, I, I mean, I, I might have gone away from the actual question there, but <laughs> there's a few lessons learned along the way. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying what we're doing now, and I think uh, I think the video stuff is uh, there's a lot more opportunity in that space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, you've talked about this uh, multiple times during this episode so far, but kind of culminating it in one answer. What do you think are the biggest components that make up a successful media company that follows the sport of running like you guys do? I would say relationships is yeah, you know, that's a big deal. Just just really trying to network as much as possible and. And, and meet as many people as you possibly can. And, and quite often you meet people that you think might might not be able to connect to you in any way and, and surprises come up. I, I just think, honestly, like starting any company, I feel like making mistakes is really valuable. And we probably don't have time on this podcast to talk about the failures that I had in startups prior to starting Sweat Mobile even, but I think that they were just so valuable to me in learning like what, what doesn't work. So, 
you know, uh, I used to think it wouldn't be that hard to create a website and I can do the, the, the WordPress stuff myself and I can, I can do the design stuff myself. And, you know, you can, but I think that like just hiring people and actually investing in that and maybe spending some money on getting some, some much better people than myself to do that while I focus on what, what I'm good at um, it, it has really helped. And that's just, you know, that's just entrepreneurship or business 101, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, but I think the big deal in running, um, which we kind of spoke about a little bit off, off air prior to recording, is, is relationships and just networking. Um, many of the prof- professional athletes know each other. So, you know, turn up and film with Parker Stinson and, you know, before you know it, you've, you've got a link to Morgan Pearson and you're filming Morgan Pearson and because they're, they're, they're very good friends. They might even live together or they live close by. So, you, you know, you never know what's going to happen from meeting meeting people on the way and I really try and network as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, networking is huge in running. I've definitely heard about that. Um, interviewing people on the podcast who are leaders in the sport. Um you talked about this in the beginning of your answer, but I would be interested to dive into it a little more. Um, as silly as it sounds, but it's it's not glamorous, so people don't like to talk about it. Um, you, failure. You failed a lot, as you said. Um, why do you think it's important to fail and and be brave in searching out opportunities that might lend you to failure? Mm. I mean, you know, I, I went to university and, and studied um, finance and took a couple of marketing classes, and I don't really remember any of that. But I, but I do remember very clearly the mistakes that I made along the way that caused me to, 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 to maybe be in financial trouble at one point when I was about 25. I started a business and threw a whole lot of money into it, and, and it failed. And I was sort of back, back, back to square one. I would never do that again. Um, that was before I learned about how, in, you know, how how venture capital and, and angel investors work, and 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 how finance really works in a startup. And so just little things like that, I think, were just really helpful to me to, to understand how to, I kind of said it before, but like, it's more about learning like what not to do than, than, than how things work. So yeah, I learned a lot about WordPress and, and, and social media and social media marketing along the way and made a bunch of mistakes in, in different startups. I, I, in 2012, I started a basically a what's currently airbnb experiences which is which is basically tour guides um me and a few guys in helsinki started started basically the same thing as a mobile app and it was it was a pretty large failure i guess and we just learned you know a lot of things from that technically speaking um what you need to be able to create a mobile app like that um because it doesn't happen so much anymore but i guess in my 20 I'm, i'm 34 now but in my in my 20s i had a lot of people sort of i was going to startup conferences and, and sort of all those sorts of things. And people would often talk about creating a social media for this and a social media for that. And after that failure of, um, of the, the tour guide application, which was basically going to be, a, you know, sort of a social media, I just thought you have no idea how hard this is to, to make this thing, to make these things come to, come to life. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are some of the biggest lessons, I guess. And uh, I, I really think that, if I could, if I could talk to my 24-year-old self or 25-year-old self when I'm going through that, when I'm when I was severely disappointed at closing down something and thinking, what a waste of time that last year was, I can't stress how wrong that attitude is to thinking that that was a waste of time. It was, it's, it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I listen to Tim Ferriss all the time, and he interviews successful business people, and they've almost all had a bunch of failed businesses mm-hmm. before making one that works. So. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm probably going to give you any any special answer there that's, that's better than anyone else. But I just think it's just it's it's 
I don't remember much from university, but I remember a lot from those startups. <laughs> so I just think that that's a much better education, if you, especially if you want to start a business. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's about creating a bunch of small experiences, whether successful or failure, um, you're going to learn from them and use those to foster uh, more successful things in the future. So for instance, you are extremely successful now with Sweat Elite, but someone might have not predicted that when you created Sweat Mobile because that didn't necessarily go as well. But as we talked about, you use those lessons learned from that failure and transferred it into something more successful, Sweat Elite. So I totally understand what you're saying. Um, going into, as we've talked about a ton this episode without really diving into it, um, Sweat Elite this year. So earlier in May, I believe, I think May 13th was the first video you posted, you started producing high-quality workout videos. So basically what you do, again, I'm sure um, anyone listening to this knows, but if if you don't, uh, Sweat Elite YouTube channel, they start a YouTube channel, they uh, go around the country um, and soon internationally, it seems, to film some of the best professional runners or even triathletes in Morgan Pearson's case um, and kind of go take them through their workout. So um, what went into the decision to start filming these videos? Yeah, so correct in, in all that. And so like I said, we were actually trying to do this or we, we, we had planned to do this in late 2019, we, we really came to a point. Me and me and my colleagues, uh, predominantly uh, Tate Herbs, who, who's from Australia, he, he's written most of the articles. We came to a point when we thought we're really struggling to really come up with many ideas now to write about because we didn't really want to cross into the news section. There was a lot of pretty good players there, runners well included, and we thought we really want to stick to the whole. You know, what can people learn about training? And, and after 420 something articles, we really started to have a hard time coming up with new ideas. Um, and, you know, so we, were, we were jumping into the podcast at the same time, interviewing athletes. There was a lot of other people doing that. And we just really thought, what what can we do that's not really being done well or at all in the running world? And the first idea that we had was, well, Flowtrack's Workout Wednesdays were really good a while ago, but what happened to them? And so then we looked into that and we realized they still do some. Um, I would argue that they used to be better. Um, and I would also say that they've decided to throw a lot of them behind the paywall, which I understand that decision. Um, people get angry at that. And I think that people shouldn't get angry at that because people that don't, there's a lot, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that I guess don't want to see ads and they don't want to pay for a video and, and they have to really think about, well, how is this video going to be produced then? You know, money has to come in somehow in order to, to make this happen. And I just think, I could be wrong here, and, and I apologize if I am, but I think Flowtrack may have had some investors knocking on their doors saying we need to up the ante here. So I think that they've tried to put a lot behind paywalls. And, and whether that's worked or not, you know, no one really knows other than Flowtrack, I guess, if when they look at their accounting at the end of each month. But um, I just thought I, I really liked what they were doing in 2010 and 2012. It was more raw video. It was more conversations. It was less less music, there was less ads, and I just thought, let's let's try and do that again. Um, and, and that was the plan. So I, I spent a bunch of time in late 2019 um, watching all of uh, Lionel Sanders' videos, the triathlete Iron Man, who's, who I, I, I get a lot of ideas and inspiration from on his videos. Um, he doesn't actually produce the videos. The, it's, it's a friend of his called Talbot, but mm-hmm. he's the main sort of character in them. And uh, and I just I took a bunch of short courses online about videography, and um, I wouldn't say that there was a there was a lot of time spent doing that. And I just thought, you know, let's let's do this. 
because I think that that's a space that is left a little bit empty at the moment. And so I moved to Boulder in mid-2020 with the idea of staying there for one to two years and seeing how this goes. And then we were about to roll videos out. You know, it was coming out of the winter, so it was still snowy, and we were waiting for for April to, to, to... to, to begin videos with Lee Troops Group and, and Parker Stinson. And COVID struck March 16 was when things started to close down. And March 20, I panicked and went home to Australia because I, I'm an asthmatic. At, at the beginning of COVID, there was a real concern around asthmatics. Um, so I thought if I'm going to have a problem with this this new virus, I'd rather be at home where I've got healthcare and all that. So I went home. And uh, I'm not going to dive into this for too long because I'll, I'll probably end up getting quite frustrated. But uh, I, I had a really hard time leaving Australia. Uh, with the government COVID, with, with the with the COVID rules the government have put in place, they have an outbound travel restriction that means that people have to get permission to leave. And I I was rejected over and over again. And in the end, I just I basically just left by New Zealand. I didn't even get an exemption because I just thought this is this is not right. Mm-hmm. They they shouldn't be prevent, they they shouldn't be preventing me from leaving one way. So uh, so yeah. So I got back uh, early mid April and got straight into it. And uh, yeah, like you said, May 13, I think it was or 17. Um, we we published the first video with Parker Stinson and uh, we've basically tried to do one to two a week since then. I think we've been a little bit more than that. So um, so yeah, that's 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 what's that's what's uh, that's basically the timeline between early 2020 or late 2019 and, and today. Gotcha. Yeah, it's been super awesome to follow along the journey. And one uh, one quick question I have on that and your kind of growth is how do you think you've evolved from the first video being Parker Stinson? to the most recent video, which I believe, and again, these will change because this podcast won't come out right away, but to the most recent video, at least as of recording uh, with the NAU team, have you changed anything in your approach from the setup of the video, interviewing, filming, et cetera? Not much, no. I, I really have, I've, I, I read every every single comment on YouTube um, because, well, one, I want to learn, Um you know, you have to have a, you have to have a, uh, I think you have to have your, your wits about you to, to, to really um, know what to, to take seriously and, and what to maybe ignore in the comments. I also just want to delete any toxic toxicity. And, and luckily we've had very little of that. Um, we've only had to remove a couple of people that have just made silly comments. But, um, but in general, I think the one thing that I learned from early videos was people were really loving the conversations between the coaches and the athletes. And so the major thing that I've changed is adding much more of that. And with the Parker Stinson video, I didn't even ask him if Dathan Rittenheim can come along. So Dathan's his coach. And now when athletes, when I'm doing videos with athletes, the first thing I ask is, can we have the coach there if the coach doesn't normally come? Now, that doesn't always happen, doesn't always work out. But I really try and push for that because people seem to really enjoy listening to the coach and athlete conversations. So that's the one thing that I've really... Um, put focus on uh but in terms of production and video equipment and the style of the videos i mean i think you could probably agree too that they haven't changed that much Mm -mm, so yeah that's the only real thing that i've put more focus in and 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 the one bummer i'm sorry sorry ian butler if you if you listen to this but when i filmed (laughs) him i was i was really keen for steve jones to be there steve jones is his coach he used to hold the world record for the marathon lives in boulder Welsh, um, but apparently Steve doesn't really come to any of his workouts. And I asked Ian a bunch of times, I said, is there any way you can get Steve out there? Because he would be so good for the video. But, you know, running in the dark at 4.30am, I guess Steve wasn't keen. So uh, I wouldn't be either for what it's worth. Sorry? I said I wouldn't be either if I if I was yeah. him. So um, no, that's that's yeah. hilarious though. I don't that video. Um, so 
funny enough, you talked about Let's Run earlier. The message boards are horrible to this day. But some of the funny things are when they talk about you guys, which is every week, every single video, there's the thread started about oh, really? it. Absolutely. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I'll, I haven't seen anything. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to uh, preview some of them and make sure they're uh, good enough for you to read. But the Ian Butler, and I will say, you ha- as with YouTube, you have some outliers who are just people looking for negativity. So I'm sure you have some posters like that. But almost every single thread, and again, it's literally every video, has had extreme positivity. And by far the the biggest one, I would say, from like a standpoint of this guy's BA, is Ian Butler. So it was fun um, seeing that blow up with just, I think the, the title was something like the most blue-collar runner in the U.S. right now. Um, so, yeah. Aww. From a from a non YouTube perspective, the the videos are gaining a lot of traction, especially from people who are normally negative, which is let's run. Um, but going into that, I'm interested to know: uh, Did you expect this big of a following when you started? Um, because you guys have grown pretty rapidly in this past couple of months. Yeah, no, no, I I, I didn't expect it. Um, I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I I mean I hoped for it, but when I when I when I looked at the the analytics a couple of weeks ago and realised we were going to pass three million views in four months, I, I had a moment where I thought, "Damn, I, I didn't I didn't expect that." <laughs> so, but then if someone asked me the question of what did you expect, I don't think I'd have an answer. So, I, I just really hoped that we'd put them out there, people would enjoy them, um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's happened. And uh, and and I and I. <laughs> If the Rights Run guys are listening to this, I apologize if I was saying anything negative. I mean, that's brilliant marketing for us. I had, I had no idea there was any threads about our videos. I don't look at Let's Run. I, I don't really look at any other running sites at this at this point. But uh, no, it's good to hear. And um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad there's not too much negativity in those those threads too. But uh, but yeah, now to answer your question, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I, I I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd make them as, as high quality as I possibly can and, and really make sure you know, I'm I'm asking the questions and, and getting the answers from coaches and athletes that people want to he- people want to hear, and and I hope that that's what's happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, uh, a question about you've obviously gotten a wide range of athletes. A bunch of them are well, m- all of them are very very successful. Some of them have won medals in the Olympics. Um, but then others following along the YouTube comments, you've um, like a lot, a big common comment is why haven't, why can't you film more women? And part of the reason you said is because many of them have canceled or won't respond to requests on making a video. So I'm interested to know why you think that some athletes are eager to have you follow along and film their workout and others won't respond to requests on um, letting you film their workout. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a, it's a tricky one to answer or to really know. I am a little bit unclear. Um, some have their own media and their own photographers and managers, and I guess they're happy with that, so they don't really feel the need. Um, I hope that that attitude changes as people really learn what the Sweat Elite Training Sessions channel is all about. Um, it's not necessarily about just filming a workout and sending you the, the footage. It's, a, it's about the style that we create the videos in. And... Um, yeah, I guess some some athletes uh, that they feel like they st- I think this has definitely been the case with I'm not I'm not going to name them but some athletes I think still feel like they don't really want to share their training they still feel like it's a bit of a secret so they don't want to be want to be on a video and you know each their own that's that's fair enough um, I think I have had a, a hint from 
at least one female that they're a little bit nervous to to be on this channel and they they feel like they're maybe not ready for it at this stage they yeah i mean it's 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 a large audience now and if if you you know if you do have a hard time speaking or you you know you i mean doing a podcast is a little bit easier because you don't have to you don't have to look you know, you can be in your pajamas if you want. Like it's it's just it's just audio. But you know, when it comes to video, it's, there's a lot more dynamics there. And and I do know that that I think one reason why um, some females haven't wanted to do that is a, is a little bit of that reason. Um, yeah, I mean, there's another media company based in Europe that that saw my comment about that, saying we've had a bit of bad luck about having women on and. Um, there's been a few postponements and, and funny, one of them actually reached out to me and said, we have the same problem. Like we have exactly the same problem. All the men are happy to come on, but the women are, are a little bit harder. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, it's not us. It's not just our problem. <laughs> um, but I will say that this week there's a, there's a few women coming on, which I'm excited about. So, so I'm working a little bit more closely with Gwen Jorgensen now, and I'll be producing many more videos with her. It could even be a weekly thing. Uh, Nell Royas is, is, I'm actually filming tomorrow morning. So she won the, the 10, was it the 10 mile champs or the 20 K champs? Oh man. Uh, it was, one of those. yeah, I believe, no, it was the 10 mile champs. Cause Jenny Simpson got second miles. behind her. Yeah. She won the 10 mile yeah. champs. Yeah. She outkicked Jenny. So, so she's tomorrow morning. And then, uh, I haven't confirmed with Laura Sweet yet, but she's, she's most likely going to be in the next week too. So, so I'm hoping to turn the tables on that and have more women on because, uh, yeah, there, there's been there's been a few that have committed and then pulled out late due to well, one, one was due to an injury, one was due to form issues, uh, one one actually completely went quiet when I when I flew to to Portland. And I'm not going to name her, but that was that was disappointing. Um, I can imagine just, just, go, just ghosted, and uh, yeah. So I I really think that um, moving forward there will be more women. Um, but in the men's side, I mean, we've had very little uh, rejection, which is which is great. Um, you know, there's definitely been some athletes that I've reached out to that have just not responded, but um, it's only you know it's only been four and a half five months. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can't I can't just assume that that you know. I mean, when you when you reach out to these people, it can be a bunch of ways. You can either be connected by another athlete, you can find their email and email them, or you can send them a message on on Instagram. And if it is the later, and you're sending them an in, a message on Instagram, quite often they don't even see the message because it goes to their outbox. So you know, I think I hope that over time. Um, there was one example of an athlete here based in Boulder that um, after I filmed him, he told me the story that I had actually sent him a message in June. Uh, he didn't see it because it went to his outbox. And then when he watched more videos, he then followed the Instagram, Sweatlet Instagram, and then noticed the message. Oh, wow. And got back got back to me two months later. So I hope that, that happens more, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. That well, was Joe Klecker, by the way. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, I hope that I hope that the, the bigger it, it gets, I guess, um, uh, the, the you know the more athletes will come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While on the subject of athletes, um, is there anyone in particular you're looking forward to recording? I know you mentioned some athletes a minute ago. Um, in the future, it doesn't even have to be in the coming weeks, but athlete or even dream athletes, like someone you would love to film um, in the future. <laughs> Jacob Ingebrigtsen. Okay. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just think that guy is, he's, he's not human. He's just an absolute, oh, uh, what he's doing is the, the amount of times that at the end of the season, people think, okay, well, he's, he's now at his peak and he just, every year gets better and gets better. And it's just, when are you, when are you going to slow down, man? Like <laughs> you, you're, he's just a, such an incredible athlete. 
I love his uh, from everything I've seen. I, I quite I think his his character and personality is super interesting, and I, I'm going to work really hard to try and get him on. Um, it's going to be it's not going to be easy because he doesn't uh, because he's such a big name now. He he has managers that really keep that stuff. You know he, you know they they don't just they don't just reply to every podcast and come on. It's it's much harder with him. So uh, yeah, he's definitely one. Um, there's a bunch of others. Um, actually, Mo Katia, who's who's uh, you know he's one of the best fit to hundred five k guys. I've actually been chatting with him a little bit online, and uh, he doesn't speak any English, so it's a little tricky. But I hope to maybe have him on at the end of the year. He has. Uh, I, I'll be going to Europe for Valencia Marathon. Um, I, I'm not making any promises that he's definitely going to come on because uh, I'm going to need a translator for sure. <laughs> he doesn't. He speaks very very basic English. Um, so that's a possibility. He's someone that I think would be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I mean they're the main two probably. Um, I'm really blanking on any others now. But uh, I was gonna say Kipchoge, but you've already filmed with him way before like Sweat Elite YouTube channel was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean Kipchoge for sure is an answer, but I, but I know now he he he's off. I, I don't think he's possible. And mm-hmm. um, then they're, they're all in house now. Um, NN have built a, a really impressive team um, and media company, basically, and um, I don't notice him really doing anything else with anyone else. So I think that would be a tough sell. Yeah, I mean, just before he became really well known in 2017, we, me and my colleague flew to Kenya and and, uh, and and basically just showed up at his house and knocked on his door and said, "Hey, can we uh, can we join you in some runs?" And and you know you could never do that now, but this was this was just just after the 2016 Olympics. Um, he was getting well known, but it was before the whole sub two thing. And um, yeah, he let us come along and film a couple, and uh, and yeah, we, we we put a few online. They're very very different to the workout videos we're doing now. They're really short, and it's only really video footage with music. But um, yeah, that was fun. But uh, I, I'd definitely be up for doing something with him again. But I think that's a that's a stretch. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, you talked about um, him having like his own in-house team. Same with um, Jacob Ingebrigtsen. Like he has his crazy reality TV show, which is quite funny um, if you watch yeah. it. Um, so there's clearly benefit to having like a media company or um, someone follow you around, and I think that's why some of these athletes are super eager for you to share their workout and their story. Cause obviously you hear their story in the workout cause you're a phenomenal, phenomenal interviewer who kind of, um, asks questions and all of that. And I think also part of the cell is that, um, like they can show their gear and what they're wearing. And, um, of course as athletes, they're being sponsored by these companies and not only sponsored to run fast, but sponsored to sell shoes and sell apparel. So um, if you had to give like someone a elevator pitch as to why you should film their workout, what would it be? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I would say, you know, if, by coming on the Sweat Elite YouTube channel, you, you'll definitely be able to connect with your fans in a, in a unique and different way you know, that you're used to seeing, they're used to seeing static images of you or maybe a quick Instagram story. They'll really be able to learn a lot more about your personality while you'll be able to naturally showcase any sponsors or brands or people or anything that helps you as a runner in a way that's not promotional or seeming like an advert. So that's the way that I would pitch it. And mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what we do. You know, we do, like, you've probably seen some comments about people saying, you know, these videos are great because you can get to know the personality of the athlete a lot mm-hmm. better than ever before. And that's ideal. Um, that means that the athlete will see more followers and more engagement. And um, in turn, that will likely mean more sponsorship opportunities. 
And, for example, Parker Stinson told me that after one of his videos that he sent it to Ciccone and the marketing team were really stoked because there was like a two-minute section where he was talking about the shoes he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, yep. You know, that, that video's had, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of views. So, so the Ciccone was like, how good's that? You know, that's, that's, <laughs> we didn't even do anything. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're explaining why you like these shoes and, and you know, what they're all about to, to, to all these thousands of people. So... Yeah, I really, I guess that's the, that's the best answer I can give. It's mm-hmm. really about a win-win-win for everyone. Yeah. Totally, totally. Okay, last question before we go into the rapid-fire questions. What do you see the future of Sweat Elite being, and what are you most looking forward to about the brand? Yeah, so as I sort of just said, my vision is to try and create as much of a triple-win scenario as possible, whereby athletes and managers see further reach and attract larger following, the general public are more engaged in the sport, so people that are already interested are, are having more interesting things to watch and read. And we're also attracting more people to the sport because, you know, people coming in out of high school or that are in high school, they watch YouTube and, and, and their decisions made in the future can be can be about watching a bunch of flow track videos. Um, and the, the third win is us thriving as a business. And I think that's the ultimate business when, when everyone's winning, right? So I see us as, as as we hire more. I'm currently trying to get some more videographers out in Europe, and there's actually one in Kenya now that's about to hopefully work with some athletes based in Kenya. Um, I see us as sort of like a marketing firm in a way for professional athletes and managers seeking to 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 be able to engage further with with fans and brands. Um, and, and and while you know while we're also you know, a, a classic or typical marketing firm will, will be behind the scenes and they'll be they'll be just you know, you won't even really know that they're there. But in our case, it's obviously different. We're 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 front of, uh, you know, we're 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 at the front as well. So, yeah, I, I do see us as, as more or less a, a company that sits in the middle to try and really push the sport forward in terms of just awareness and engagement, and make make the athletes, the general public, and ourselves better off all free. That's super, super awesome to hear. And again, it's been so awesome to kind of follow along the journey from before you guys even had YouTube. So um, I can't wait to see what all you guys do in the next coming years because I'm sure it's going to be big. And as you were saying, like impacting the sport, thank you so much for impacting it because there are people who are like sitting here and like waiting for things to happen like you guys are doing. Um, not to hate on flow track, but also to hate on them. Um, they, you know, it, it was tough. I was a big fan of their videos. And then all of a sudden, all of them you had to pay for. And no offense, I'm not going to pay $20 a month to watch a few workout videos. So you guys making yeah. it as accessible as possible. And then, um, again, no offense to flow track, but you guys do a lot better of a job. They're longer. You guys have a broader reach. And you're doing them multiple times per week. I mean, you can, as as we've mentioned multiple times in this episode, you can see the excitement in the comments every single video. Um, So I hope that shows you the good work that you're doing. So yeah, thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, creating Sweat Elite because it's impacting the sport in such a positive way. Oh man, I really appreciate the kind words. And uh, yeah, I see your comments uh, on the videos and I I sometimes pin them at the top because they're they're really... uh, some of them are funny. Some of them are, uh, I just really enjoy. So, uh, yeah, man, thanks so much. And, and just having me on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, like I said, when you reached out to me, and uh, I'd had some brief encounters with you before via Strava and, uh, and, and YouTube, but I, I was so impressed when I learned that you're, you're in high school. I was like, man, I, I, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good start to the, uh, to the entrepreneur uh, you know, journey. 
Uh, totally, totally. So, so good, so good for you, man, and keep it, keep it going. Yep, as as we talked about in this episode, it's all about making those small little experiences and learning from them, and then transferring them into the bigger experiences down the road. So, that's a little yeah. bit of what I'm trying to do. But uh, quickly, before I let you go, the rapid fire questions, oh. also known as the going to the well segment. So, just seven, somewhat quick questions. You don't have to be crazy fast with them. But, um, are you ready for these seven questions, Matt? I am. Okay, number one. Number one favorite piece of running gear or technology? Yeah, so I, up until last week, it was definitely my my Garmin two four five and linking with my Apple EarPods. I just thought for a, for a couple of years, I, I was always wearing you know headphones and linking it to my my phone and taking my phone with me, and I hated doing that. But then when the when the Garmin's came out that enabled enabled you to put Spotify and podcasts on your watch and connect it to your Apple EarPods. I just thought, how does that? Like, mm-hmm. I don't have any wires anymore. I take my phone. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm just running normally, having the earpods in my ears. So, it's probably that. I've had a little bit of an issue with this watch over the last week or two, though, with the GPS mucking up a bit. But I think that might, I might just have to reset it. But uh, yeah, the answer to the question is my my Garmin two four five and the Apple earpods, and just being able to listen to podcasts when I do runs. Totally. Um, so, two things. One, I have the Garmin four hundred two forty five as well. So. I've had just a, a little brief thing. I've had problems with the GPS before, but they tend to fix themselves. So hopefully, okay. uh, hopefully it works itself out. If not, um, again, not sponsored by Garmin. I wish I was, but uh, they have phenomenal customer <laughs> service. If not, um, so I definitely do that. But also, I bet I only have the basic version of the 245, um, and I'm very tempted oh. to get the music because, as you're saying, as you're mentioning, um, it seems like amazing to be able to do that, especially like uh, if I run alone or in the winter or whatever. Um, I'm sure that'd yeah. be super nice. So yeah, that's that's an awesome pick. Okay, number two, if you were on a deserted island and you could only bring three things, what would they be? Okay, uh, have I already got like water and food or not? Um, sure. We can give you water and food. Okay. Then I would bring my dog who's in Australia. His name's Freddie. He's a little Dachshund mixed with a Chihuahua. I would bring a tennis ball to play with him because I feel (laughs) like I could hang out and throw a tennis ball with him all day. So that would be fun. And then I guess this is a lame answer because I feel like half the point of being on a deserted island is to get away from this, but I'd probably bring my phone. And that's not necessarily to talk to anyone or to text anyone. It's more about having podcasts and being able to, like, read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe maybe not. If, I mean, I would even be open to having a phone without, you know, without service, just, just being able to listen to podcasts and, and read articles and read books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd bring my dog, tennis ball, and my phone to read and listen. Awesome. Okay, number three, Boulder or Flagstaff? Heated debate among some professional runners. Oh, man. I, I prefer Boulder a little more. Um, more trails, more accessible trails. Uh, I think the town, the town's much bigger. Um, yeah, Boulder. I, lo- I love Flagstaff too, but if I had to live in one of the two, I'd, I'd prefer Boulder. Gotcha. Okay, number four, if you could race any distance against any athlete in the world, what would the distance be and who would you choose to race? I'd race Elliot Kipchoge over 400 meters. Ooh, did you, do you think you could win or no? Or just do it for the fun of it? Be, I think it'd be a good race. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was an 800 runner. I ran 48 seconds for 400 back then. I have no idea what he... I, I couldn't do that now. I'd probably run 50 or 51 at best. But I don't know. I just think it'd be fun. I, just, I, I read over these questions before we got on the call, and I just thought, damn, that's a good question. Who would it be? 
I just thought, I don't know, I just think it'd be fun to race him over a lap of the track. <laughs> totally. <laughs> see, see what happens. Yeah, I'd love to just be sprinting side by side down those straight, trying to trying to get uh, trying to get in front of him. I just think it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that would be yeah. that would be like the experience of a lifetime. <laughs> uh, we talked about the super shoes earlier. I'm assuming you haven't because you moved away from the middle distances. But have you tried out the super spikes yet? No, I haven't. Okay. I've been spikes for, for seven years, so no. <laughs> well, so I'm sure you remember the feeling of having like your calves beat up by by the shoes, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that that's the one thing about these spikes. I'll, I have the dragonflies that I've that I've worn for track in my one cross country meet this year before having a little injury. But I, I mean, it's remarkable. I'll do. I did like tough sessions in them this past spring, and just not that you feel amazing the next day, but it's it's remarkable how much better you feel than than old spikes. So maybe you'll have to have to buy a pair and give it a go or a track session just to feel the difference, because uh, it's very yeah. similar to the next percents in in the sense of recovery, which is really awesome to see. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Good to hear, man. Yeah. Okay, number five. Uh, you talked about reading a few times. What book has had the most impact on your life? There's been a few, but I think I think the main one has been again Tim Ferriss. Uh, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week book that came out in 2008. Uh, reading that in 2009 shot me down a path of uh, entrepreneurship, I guess, and just really learning how to outsource and how to run a small business. Um, I would say that. So the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I listened to his podcast a little bit, and he's mentioned the book multiple times. So I definitely want to. That's definitely on my uh, uh, books uh, to read list. So I definitely want to check yeah. that out. Um, but yeah, that's awesome that it's had an impact on your life. Okay, number six yeah. favorite sweaty lead video so far that you've made. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, it's hard to go past Paul Chalimo's la- uh, not his last one, the the the, the one that we recorded like two and a half weeks before the Olympics. I think it's 600s, 400s, 200s, and it's just funny. Like, the intro is, you know, he's walking between reps. He's walking around the curve. I think he's just done, like, a set of 600s. He's about to do a set of 400s. And I said, how are you feeling? And he just goes into this, like, monologue of just going, now's the time. Now's the time to push. And, like, he's getting all serious and worked up, and I've got the camera. And then he goes, out of the blue, he goes, we're going so fast. And he points behind me and goes, we're going so fast that the police are here. Someone called the police. <laughs> and, the, and the police legitimately were there. I had no, I had no idea. And like, I started laughing out loud like in front of the camera. And like, the whole video was just like that. Uh, it went from serious to like a joke to serious. And he just ripped the work out. He did, I can't remember the paces. It was ridiculous. So that was, that was probably the most fun. I've had a lot of fun with Parker Stinson as well. He's just really good in front of the camera and really outgoing. But they've all been fun. Like I had fun with Ian Butler that morning in the dark at four thirty when he's, you know, sprinting down these paths in Denver, and I can't even see where we're riding. And you know, it's been it's 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 been good fun. But I think the Chilimo video has probably been the most fun. Yeah. Chilimo videos are so so funny, and uh, I've attracted some non-running fans to them because uh, we were uh, going to my cousin's graduation party. Um, different state. So my brother's along with me, and it was after we had woken up. I'm foam rolling. Uh, I like to watch your videos while I'm foam rolling. 
before my rounds to get a little motivated or hyped up, I should say. And my brother's like, what are you, what are you listening to? And it was Iron Boy and Iron Man going at it against each other. Um, so he, he came over and was, uh, was watching it with me, which was funny. So yes, yeah, sm- small little things like that can attract some, some people who don't follow the sport as much. So yeah, that's, that's been super awesome. And at the same time, hilarious to see Paul just brings a, a very fun attitude to training as you've talked a little bit about in this in this episode so far um last but not least if you could eat only one meal for for the rest of your life what would it be i would eat a large bowl of berries okay strawberries blueberries blackberries raspberries i'm just i'm really into them i eat them every day and i don't like just one bowl normally mid-morning normally breakfast and i just don't feel like i could ever get sick of them so that's the first answer that comes to mind. <laughs> um, this is a weird question, yeah. but are the berries different in Australia versus America, or do they taste the same? Because I've heard some no. fruits in other countries taste a little bit different. No, you're dead right. They they really do. They are different around the world. Um, Australia is pretty similar to, to the US. Um, I've never, I don't recall ever really having that particular bowl of berries in Europe. But like, for example, the oranges and 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 uh, and, and bananas in Spain are quite different to here. Um, you know, they're not significantly different, but that you can definitely tell. So, no, you're not wrong with, with saying that around the world it can be different. But in Australia, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, it ha- I mean, I feel like we could do another hour of this conversation, which we both don't yeah. have time for. But um, So we'll have to do this again. But I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and I wish you all the best with your upcoming training and marathons and then as well as Sweaty Elite. And I look forward to following along on both. And again, um, for anyone listening, make sure to look in the show notes for links to everything from Matt Strava to Sweaty Elite's Instagram to their YouTube channel. So make sure to check that out. But again, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dominic. I mean, I've done a few interviews in my time, and I'll, I've got to say that these are probably the best questions I've ever had. I, I looked over them prior to, to jumping on the call, and I just thought, this is so impressive at how much background research that you've done um, and just the creativity in the questions. So keep up with what you're doing, man. You're doing an awesome job, and uh, I'm definitely going to have to subscribe to the, to the podcast and listen to the future episodes of yours. So, yeah, good on you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please like, subscribe, and share to help us out. It takes so quick to hit that red subscribe button, so please go ahead and do that. It would mean a lot. I'll catch you all in next week's episode, so peace out. God bless you all. Hope your running is going well.